0: Warning! The content of this podcast are subject to censorship by the Film and Publication Board of South Africa. While this is a family-friendly podcast covering the most important tech news from across the continent, any attempts by the producers of this program to sneak in content that may be harmful to young listeners or feature audio clips of gratuitous violence or explicit sex must be prevented at all costs. Hey Barney, don't even think about it. hello this is the african tech roundup episode eight welcome to it now every monday my co-host defo and i round up the week's most important technology digital and innovation news from across the african continent my name is Andile Masugu. i'm a broadcaster and entrepreneur and like i said joining me on the show as always is tech entrepreneur and executive editor of iafrican.com defo mohapi what's up guy I'm good. Now, I know it's been a super busy week for you guys over at iAfrican. You and uh, Peter Peel were invited to speak at Henley Business School last week. What did you guys speak about?
1: Yeah, we were talking about uh, innovation in the fintech industry and highlighting some innovative startups in the fintech industry in Africa. So it was quite fun and quite an honor. And you were busy too, I believe, featuring someone from the South African entertainment industry in your Andy Let's Take podcast next week sometime? Well, yes, actually
0: two big names, one in fashion and the other in entertainment. Looking forward to that actually studying their transition from craftsmanship to entrepreneurship. So that should be really interesting. A very special welcome to you if you're joining us for the very first time. We love the regulars, but we have special love for our first timers. Now be sure to catch up on what you've missed on our past episodes by heading straight to africantechroundup.com where you'll find, uh, you'll also find a link to our Twitter account at African Roundup and that's super handy for sending us a shout and telling us what you think of the show. Now in our discussion segment this week, we'll be talking about South Africa's film and publication board's unprecedented move to effectively censor the internet through draft regulations that they put out in March this year. But before we get to all that, this week, the African Tech Roundup is supported by Kukasi Hotspot. Kukasi Hotspot specializes in smart Wi-Fi hotspots and online solutions for forward-thinking communities and businesses. For those of our non-South African listeners, the word Kasi is township slang for the hood or the ghetto. Through the use of next generation digital technology Kokasi Hotspots aims to become your trusted innovation partner for more information on how they can partner up with you visit kokasihotspot.co.za or follow them on Twitter and Instagram at kokasihotspot to get a feel of their vibe
1: now, before we head to the news, we're going to take a listen to some of the listener feedback that we received regarding Hotels NG's uh, $1.2 million Series A fundraising.
0: The details of which were not released, by the way.
1: We also put a spotlight on the ongoing public spec between Hotels NG CEO and founder, Mark Essian, as well as uh, Jovago CEO, Marek Zimloski, then asked you to tell us if you were as hot and bothered as we were that the details of the deals were kept secret at the detriment of the Afri- of Africa's tech ecosystem.
0: Yep, we also asked you to give us your sense of the size of the online hotel booking market on the continent and say whether it's worth fighting over.
1: And finally, we asked you which online hotel booking platform is doing better job of servicing the market. Jovago or Marquesian's Hotels NG?
0: But We start with uh, Somalia Godje of Helpers Club in Kaduna, Nigeria, who had this to say.
2: It's so my opinion that scale is good and a startup can lower costs through economies of scale. But who is biggest right now is not that important. Cash is king. Hotels.ng just got a lot of cash. You know they will not die soon. I think they must be doing something right to attract a $4 million valuation. Right now, Mark should not bother about scale. He should build a quality hotel booking company. He will attract all the funds he needs and he can scale up.
0: Here's someone who reckons that the hype around funding transactions is overrated and that disclosing the details of funding deals isn't always in a startup or VC's best interests.
1: Hi,
2: I'm uh, Teko Mokoko, Managing Director of Startup CEO Advisory. We advise government, corporates and startups on venture capital. And I also sit on the Venture Capital Committee Board at the South African Venture Capital Association. With regards to uh, venture capital funding uh, disclosure, we need to question exactly uh, who benefits from uh, such disclosure. I mean, in essence, uh, the hype and uh, sort of excess PR becomes a a distraction for a startup uh, CEO. Uh, The hype should obviously ideally be centered around uh, a company's product or service. Also ideally the startup should focus on uh, executing on on the strategy and on their business plan. So when there's always hype around the funding, we need to question why uh, and how that will benefit uh, a startup founder. And, and if you look at in, in the dot-com era, uh, the hype was actually around funding, but that was used as a catalyst for uh, a tech company to secure more funding in the future. Uh, so in the context of of a Nigerian, of a Nigerian startup, it really does not add much of value um, because at the end of the day, success is not how much money you raise. Success means um, being able to exit uh, through an IPO or a, uh, an M&A transaction. So in Africa, we've also seen that there has been a large number of these uh, high profile uh, seed and series A funding transactions. But we've actually seen that uh, we actually never hear about uh, very rarely hear about uh, successful companies that are actually listing on, on, on stock exchanges. So uh, I just, from my side, I think the focus should obviously be on the winners and, and, and the successful companies and less on uh, funding of, of these transactions.
0: This next commenter reckons Jovago has the edge over Hotels NG in terms of delivering a great user experience online.
3: My name is Mike Balogun. I'm the CEO of Total Nigeria. Basically, we offer tour packages to both local and foreign tourists, as well as provide first-class information on every tourism-related issue. Our goal is to take tourism in Nigeria to a new level. The reason I chose jobago over Hotels NG is simply due to two factors, which are basically the customer service and easy navigation on their websites. In our line of business, you want to attend to every customer's need, promptly, sharply, and in less time. Also, when you're booking online for your hotel, you need to get online and find whatever you need to find as per your booking details easily. And I guess this is why Jobago stands out. Thank you very much.
0: Finally, commenting on our debate from episode four around whether tech and innovation hubs on the continent are effective, Here's WordStart MD Monge Mtati with his take on the need for a virtual platform for Africa's tech talent to collaborate and what he sees as a need for more platforms to expose promising emerging startups to the funding and support that they need to grow.
4: Part of the challenge I'm finding in looking for technologies in Africa and South Africa, technology workers who are making a difference, is that... They normally get featured when they are already established, even though it's an emerging company, but it's when it's built up a bit of traction, not when it's starting out and when it needs to build up the traction that it needs to get users, to get funding. So in large part, there's a huge need for platforms that talk to emerging technologies, emerging technology workers and startups that are making a difference, startups that are growing, that need funding, that need seed funding or angel funding so that people who are interested in funding these startups can know that there's a place and they can start funding them or putting their hand up to say, I've got I've got fifty dollars, I've got Hundred naira. I've got this to put into this technology because I believe it'll make a difference.
0: Now, remember if you'd like your audio comments uh, included in a future episode of the African Tech Roundup, uh, drop us a line on Twitter using the hashtag. ATRU comment and our team will make contact with you so that you can be part of the show. On to the news then. It's another step towards utter and complete worldwide domination for Facebook. This as the company is poised to launch Facebook Lite for Africa and other developing markets around the world.
1: Look, Facebook Lite is uh, as it says a lighter version of of, of Facebook. It uh, doesn't have media rich features like viewing videos and it only has thumbnails and lower res pictures, and the whole idea, as you said, is, a, is about Facebook reaching the next billion. So package together with their internet.org free internet uh, initiative, together with Facebook Lite, uh, allows them to slowly start reaching those next billion people and bringing them onto the internet, but more importantly for them onto Facebook as the portal to the internet.
0: And it's also an indirect bet on the feature phone, which certainly isn't losing any popularity um, in many parts of
1: the world true especially in africa but i don't see the feature phone lasting long especially with sub 50 smartphones especially android phones
0: so this might be a transitional sort of platform that facebook uses to introduce people to their platform and then as they graduate to better phones and and cheaper broadband they of course go with the better phones and, and hopefully stay with facebook
1: definitely because uh, the trend seems to be that people who on feature phones either buy secondhand phones that people used to have so when you buy a new smartphone you sell your old one or you hand it down to someone else. So definitely I see it as a transitional phase for them.
0: To Uganda now where mobile money has just taken a big hit what with Justice Christopher Madrama of the Commercial Court in Uganda's capital Kampala pronouncing the mobile money businesses operated by the country's five major telecommunication companies
1: illegal. It's very interesting and quite funny considering how close they are to Kenya but he was delivering a ruling on a case where Bugweri County MP Gadundu had filed a petition where he was seeking a declaration to have the mobile money regulated under the Financial Institutions Act. Katuntu's argument is that the five uh, mobile operators in the country who also have mobile money services, namely MTN, Wared, Uganda Telecom, Airtel and AfriCell, are actually telecommunications companies and not financial institutions, which legally speaking is correct because they've been issued with telecommunications licenses by the Ugandan Communications Commission. They do not fall as Organizations under the Financial Institutions Act. So, as much as we can get worked up about they're stopping innovation, but from a legal perspective, I think that's fair.
0: I think this is a matter of the law catching up with where technology is at and sort of regulating that process. And every country has to do that. And this is probably not a vote against mobile money as much as it is just creating sense of order.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think they can all work out something, uh, work out some add an act or start with a bill and make it an act to allow mobile money to operate. Or it might be a situation like in some. Africa where a mobile company requires partnership with a bank to offer mobile money services.
0: And now for some rather fascinating numbers put out by the Internet Society. They've reported that internet growth in Africa is at unprecedented levels. No surprises there, I guess.
1: Yeah, no surprises there. But I think if you dig a little bit deeper, we're coming off a very low base. And I'm quite surprised given the hype we've heard about mobile phones and internet penetration. Let me just read you some of the numbers quickly. For example, uh, they mark some glaring disparities in internet development levels from country to country. For example, Morocco has internet penetration rates of over 50%, while other African countries have penetration rates under 2%. So there's this huge disparity, and as as much as we'd like to say that Africa's rising in terms of internet adoption, it's actually just a handful of countries.
0: The majority have internet penetration below 10%. That's like well below 20% threshold. Uh, Most people agree, or most experts agree, is critical for countries to reap economic benefits from the technology.
1: Definitely. So this means that literally our podcast can only be listened to by very few countries possibly yeah under 10 which makes me excited and sad at the same time as much as there is mobile adoption and that's increasing quite rapidly clearly it seems to be on the feature phone side and clearly even if it is on smartphones it doesn't involve people accessing the internet which goes back to something we actually covered now that I remember which was that in Ghana mobile data usage was dropping so it is quite a concern
0: now here's a story that should definitely contribute to improving the numbers we just spoke about uh, mastercard is putting some very big money into the african institute of mathematical sciences aims
1: yeah i mean they they made this announcement last week uh, to coincide with the WA world economic forum in africa where they'll be pumping 25 million us dollars into AIMS.
0: Wow, now that's some proper money. Now 500 talented students from economically disadvantaged communities will be assisted to pursue their master's level education in science, technology, engineering and mathematics. Of course, the partnership is with universities like Cambridge, the University of Cape Town, Oxford and certainly some really, really leading um, uh, institutions of learning.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it was quite encouraging to hear Minister Naledi Pando, Minister of Science and Technology in South Africa at the announcement last week uh, in Cape Town saying that Africa needs more MSCs and PhDs as well as increased innovation and production in
0: Africa. And certainly this is a Pan-African network of centres uh, of excellence um, across the continent. Are there are centres operating in South Africa, Senegal, Ghana, Cameroon and Tanzania. So yeah, pretty exciting for the entire continent it seems. Well, at least a a decent chunk of it
1: definitely it will go a long way to increasing again production and innovation in africa because at the end of the day stem education is what the continent needs
0: and also the level of teaching of those subjects um, all the way through school you know before kids get to tertiary institutions are important and Moscard says it'll be supporting the creation of teacher training programs uh, to improve the quality of secondary level math and science uh, in cameroon specifically so pretty impressive and encouraging Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, definitely a good initiative.
0: And finally, some good news for Uber users in Kenya, as Uber has launched an experiment to allow customers to pay for trips in cash or in PESA.
1: Yeah, it's interesting but uh, it's got me asking, this is not Uber anymore, you used to the frictionless hopping into the cab and getting out the cab and without exchanging money with a driver.
0: And what about the safety element of cash not having to change hands?
1: Yeah, you're right to, to ask that question but they've been experiencing uh, low user signups in, in, in Kenya and they say it's because users in Kenya, according to Uber, don't have debit and credit cards and as such they're resorting to cash and M-PESA payments but also there's been an issue with uh, cards or payments being rejected from some of Kenya's major banks by the Uber app So it's quite interesting.
0: I'm also wondering how long they plan to keep the experiment up. I'm taking it. If it succeeds, it should stay. Um, It's also something that might annoy people if it were to to suddenly disappear.
1: Well, they haven't said, but definitely they're not rolling this experiment out to everyone who's on Uber in Kenya. They're rolling it out slowly to different users. Interesting enough, this might be their play to introduce their own type of cards in Kenya. Who knows? I'll tell you
0: one thing. Uber has very wisely not chosen to try this experiment in Johannesburg.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, we know what would happen down here.
0: Right. So in this week's discussion, we'll be talking about (coughs) the recent tabling of draft regulations for Internet use that's got many, many people very... (coughs) Now, even prior to (coughs) this document, the FPB made some (coughs) pronouncements in preparing us for what was eventually published. Uh, Let's try that again without censorship. Right, so in this week's discussion, we'll be talking about the South African Film and Publication Board's recent tabling of draft regulations for internet use. That's got many, many people very upset. Now, even prior to their releasing this document, the FPB made some rather unsettling pronouncements in preparing us for what was eventually published. Statements like, and I quote, the board plans to develop and implement a content regulation framework over the medium term that ensures 100% classification and label of classifiable content distributed online, on mobile, and related platforms by 2017. Whatever that means.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very sweeping and very broad and quite absurd, to be honest. But for our non-South African listeners, let's give them some context in terms of the type of work that the FPB has done before. Not so long ago, there was an artist who painted a painting of the president, of South Africa's president, Jacob Zuma. And it was not a very flattering painting, to be honest. But we all have freedom of speech, according to the Constitution. It offended the president, it offended the ruling party, and the ruling party referred this painting in an art gallery to the Film and Publications Board, which later declared the painting unsuitable to be displayed in public or in an art gallery.
0: So if you're a non-South African listener or living outside South Africa, you, you know to give you a little more context uh, of what this board has been mandated to do, it has a public mandate, and in their own words, they're there to implement leading-edge technology in the classification of content for film, Games and adult publications to inform and educate society, to empower adults and protect children against harmful content, to review existing legislation to align with new developments in technology, I suppose the internet <laughs> included, certainly, and to conduct research and implement compliance and monitoring and evaluation. All good things, it sounds like.
1: Fully agree. I mean, we need to protect children against harmful content, and they're well-meaning. I agree, but let's just take a look at how would it affect us doing this podcast. We're sitting in South Africa, we're producing a podcast which is going to go onto the internet. Firstly, we would need to apply for a license from the FPV because this is going to be on the internet and it's going to be public. So the Filament Publications Board would then request from us to listen to the podcast before it gets published. And then after that, they determine age rating for it, and yeah, we pay the license fee. But that's absurd, given the internet age. The other question I have is, in the internet age, do we really need the Film Publications Board as an organization?
0: Maybe we don't. I mean, after all, uh, we're all curating our own content on some level. Uh, there's a certain globalization to how and where uh, content is being produced and consumed. Do we not have a constitutional right to determine what we consume, when we consume it, where we consume?
1: Yeah, it's a. They they'd probably argue that it's a very thin line between. Uh protecting children or I'd argue that it's a very thin line between protecting children by filtering content but I'd also argue that you could hide behind it to justify your censorship but the angle why I asked why do do we really need the FPV is what happens when somebody sitting in Bangladesh produces a documentary or produces content puts it on the internet and it's not classified by the FPV but it's still being consumed in South Africa are they going to monitor every single video on YouTube on every single website to make sure that South Africans don't consume it or classify it for consumption in South Africa? You've got Netflix, you've got iROKO TV, you've got Apple TV. How are they going to regulate all that? To be blunt, I think they want to hide behind this legislation to enforce certain bans on certain publications that have irritated maybe some people. I don't
0: know. Look, I mean, that's certainly the, the cynical outlook of many people who have lost trust with, with the board in the past who argue that some of these pronouncements are vague and all-encompassing and open to abuse, certainly, and many feel that they are arguably tantamount to unconstitutional blanket censorship, which some people in government might be happy with at a time when they want to quash a news report or a certain piece of content that's not favoring their view or something like that.
1: Yeah, this this would make it easy if it passes. This would say there's a law that says that before you publish this thing on the internet, you need to have a license. This is tantamount to saying a blogger needs a license. A video blogger needs a license. We would need a license as podcasters.
0: We'd need permission to post stuff on Facebook.
1: Yeah, if you post a video on Facebook, you'd need to ask the Filament Publications Board to classify it because it might be consumed by children. This is absurd.
0: And then again, look, public consultations on the draft have occurred all through April and May this year. Things obviously came to a head in the last two weeks and finally the Film and Publications Board uh, admitted that the draft document is indeed confusing and needs to be made clearer and the language used needs to be, you know, simplified. Um, in fact, in FPB spokesman summed it up by saying it's the Independent Communications Authority of South Africa's job to regulate the internet and the FPB's job to regulate the content. Still doesn't solve the problem, really.
1: Is it their job to regulate content and how are they going to do it? I'd love to see them regulate the internet. This is tantamount to saying they're going to regulate the internet.
0: Definitely a tricky one. But uh, here's a very informed and concise critique of the FPB's draft regulations from one of its more high profile critics. Take a listen. My
5: name is Julie I'm the spokesperson for the media freedom and diversity leg of the Right to Know campaign. The Right to Know campaign is a broad coalition of various different organizations throughout South Africa that since 2010 has been campaigning for free and open access to information in South Africa, fighting against the secrecy bill and also looking into issues of media freedom and media diversity amongst other issues um, in South Africa. At the moment, we are particularly concerned about the Film and Publications Board's draft online regulations. Um, We're worried because firstly, these regulations are overly broad in their definitions. The the wording is incredibly vague, badly written, and very imprecise language, which basically means that all of the definitions in the regulations are extremely open-ended. What that means is that these regulations can apply to absolutely anyone who wants to publish anything on the internet. Now, the and Publications Board has been saying that that isn't the case, but there are four different and separate clauses within these regulations that clearly state that these regulations apply to absolutely any user of the internet in South Africa. So what that means is that anytime anyone in South Africa wants to post content in an online space, such as uploading a video onto YouTube or even updating your own personal blog, website or Facebook status, you're first going to have to apply for classification by the Foreman publications board and you're going to have to pay a fee for that now we're saying that that amounts to pre publication censorship and in terms of freedom of expression that simply isn't acceptable secondly the fact that you're going to have to apply for a classifications fee and for an online distributors licensing agreement if you want to post content online in South Africa in future we're saying that that is also uh, not democratic not constitutional and outside of what is allowable in terms of freedom of expression because it basically means then that freedom of expression only belongs to those who are able to pay for it which obviously is just completely ethically wrong now the Film and publications board is doing all of this by saying that they're trying to protect children from harmful content in the online world now we can't disagree with that. Obviously, everyone wants to protect children from content that is harmful to them and also to protect the, or to prevent the distribution of child abuse content or otherwise known as child pornography. Um, Obviously that is um, a good thing to do but the problem with these regulations is they're just so unpractical, they're so unworkable and they're so badly written that all they're effectively going to do is limit the freedom of expression rights of the average South African citizen. They're going to censor reasonable content and they're going to do absolutely nothing to prevent criminals and child abusers from stalking children online and distributing child abuse content. So basically, the solution that the Film and Publications Board is proposing is not going to fix the problem. They're trying to justify um, freedom of expression or the, the censorship of freedom of expression under the moralistic guise of protecting children which frankly we find very insulting to children and we find that to be morally wrong and that in, in itself is a type of abuse of children to try to justify these types of blatant um, you know, censorship and oppression of freedom of expression in the name of children is a real insult to children themselves Thank you.
0: Well, there you have it. Do you agree with Dr. Reid? Is this a case of the Film and Publications Board trying to sneak censorship laws past the public or an ill-informed attempt to deal with serious societal ills that uh, just come with living in this advanced technological age?
1: Perhaps you have some suggestions for the Film and Publications Board in South Africa on how to regulate content without infringing on our constitutional rights. Or the other question is, do we really need the FPB in this age of the internet?
0: As always, we'd love to hear what you think. You can comment directly in our SoundCloud account at... AfricanTechRoundup.com or on Twitter at African Roundup, uh, using the hashtag ATRU. Of course, if you'd like to make audio contributions for us to feature on the show, please drop us a line on the hashtag ATRU comment, and our team will get in touch with you. Chop chop! Now, remember, this week the African Tech Roundup is supported by Kokasi Hotspot. Kokasi Hotspot specializes in smart Wi-Fi hotspots and online solutions for forward-thinking township communities and businesses. For more information on how they can partner up with you, visit Today or follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Kokasi Hotspot to get a sense of their vibe. Otherwise, that's it for now. Until
3: next week, it's cheers from me, Andile Masugu. And if I'm happy. take it easy, guys. Cheers, guys.